Welcome to The Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players, by trumpet players, and a cornet guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoneman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geeks, Joey Tartell, and our very own one-man wolf pack, Brian Appleby Weinberg. This episode of The Open Bell is brought to you by the World Trumpet Federation. Just go to www.worldtrumpetfederation.com and check out all the goodness we've got stored there for you. Informative articles, Joey's almost famous blog, cool videos, and more. And the WTF is home to your favorite trumpeting podcast, The Open Bell. If you're not thinking WTF for all your trumpet and cornet needs, well, you're doing it wrong. And the International Trumpet Guild. Serving trumpet players around the globe for decades, the International Trumpet Guild has long been the largest trumpet organization in the world. With the ITG Journal, competitions, and annual conference, ITG works to provide excellent opportunities for its membership. This year, even amid the pandemic, ITG is working to present the largest virtual conference possible to give access to some of the finest teachers and performers in the world. With close to 200 scheduled events, there will be something for everyone. Go to the International Trumpet Guild website for details regarding the conference, including how to register for this landmark event. The Open Bell Podcast is comprised of three segments, warming up, a couple things, and no offense. We use these segments to leak, litigate, and leverage information that we believe is important to our lurking trumpet lackeys and legends. Gentlemen, shall we? Warming Up is brought to you by all-natural Chop Saver Lip Care. It's for people with lips. Fellow trumpeter Dan Gosling is single-handedly saving the brass-playing world with this amazing creation. Now look, sure, you have other options for lip care. There's that stuff stolen from bees that's not vegan, or come to think of it, very nice. There's that black and blue label stuff that's just a waxy punch in the face. And then there's those messy (laughs) vitamin E tablets to break open. Forget about that mess. Even if you don't care about your face, think about what kind of stuff you're putting in the inside of your horn. Look, there's no need to get chapped. Go with Chop Saver. There's so many reasons why it's the official lip treatment of the World Trumpet Federation and the Open Bell Podcast. Go to ChopSaver.com for details or follow at ChopSaver on Instagram to see Dan's daily efforts to save faces everywhere. And speaking of needing to save face, Brian, what do you have for us today? (laughs) Wow. That's quite well the done. intro. You're welcome. That's <laughs> very impressive. So, um, so today, this is episode 34, if I'm not mistaken. You You're are not correct. mistaken. Yeah. We've had, um, we've had some, some email. I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about mail later, maybe. We um, are. But uh, I've been getting some notes, some personal notes, um, and I just want to. We continue have some personal to, notes for you as well. To, <laughs> to <laughs> <laughs> encourage people because. A lot of people are writing me about how much they love the cornet and how much they want to play the cornet. And you Mm -hmm. both Mm -hmm. give me a lot of guff about it. However, you both play the cornet all the time. Well, (laughs) go ahead. No. No one, needed, no one needs to know that. <laughs> Bill <Yeah>. traveled <laughs> 2,000 miles to play the cornet <laughs> in two competitions. There are two cornets in my office right now. Yeah. I did. So I want to continue to encourage lots of people. Obviously, we all believe that the beginner should start on cornet, and that's great. Um, we, don't, we don't all believe that that's universally true. That's universally true. <laughs> and um, But I want to encourage adults um, who are already playing or comeback players who, who are playing to – Get a cornet. You don't have to spend tons of money. I mean, you don't have to, to buy um, a professional-level Besson cornet. Um, there are a lot of student-level cornets that play really well if you get the right mouthpiece. You know, uh, I designed the, the picket with others. Mm. <laughs> great, mouth, great mouthpiece. Great mouthpiece. Great mouthpiece. Um, or, or a wick or an alliance or something like that. Um, and you'll get that traditional sound. Um, our good friend Dr. Moore is sending us videos playing playing <laughs> that's, jazz that's, solos on cornet. Now we need to, we need to make that clear. There is there are a couple of, we have a couple of Dr. Moores that are friends. We do. We're talking about Dr. Right. Jamie Moore, the Dr. James from Moore. West Virginia Dr. James Wesley. Moore. Yes. Yeah, who is a, a 
obviously great friend of the podcast, but also tremendous uh, jazz player. Accomplished jazz player. Great player. player. Yes, and does his best work a, on the cornet. He's got a, what he, could only be referred to as a beater cornet that sounds <laughs> way better than it should. Yes. <laughs> he makes that thing sound great. Um, and so I would just continue to encourage everyone just explore the cornet you can play jazz you can play great solos it's incredible repertoire you can sit in a competing brass band uh, and play you can play in your concert band on the instrument for which it was the music was attended mm. um, so i just encourage everybody and knowing that i'm sitting here with two other cornet players as well I think it's important to point that out. Did, did he just call us cornet players? He, he did. Yes. He wow. Did. And coming from Brian, that's a, actually a bit of an honor. I um, actually, I will take it as a compliment. Uh, Brian, remember that, you know, in all this, when you start to feel sensitive about things we say, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Look what we're doing <laughs> right. for the cornet. The people that are rushing to your defense. It's fantastic. Right. Yeah. That's astounding. It really is. <laughs> Joey, what do you got for us today? Well, I got a little story for you. I, I went in to do a, a, a recording session for what's going to be a, a virtual church service this week. Hmm. And the bass drummer player is an old friend of mine and came in with two cases and said, hey, check these out. So I opened up the cases and they are very old King instruments. And one of them looks vaguely trumpet-like. <laughs> and so I, I get the valves working and I start playing and it's a flugelhorn, but it doesn't look traditional in any sense. Now, the other instrument's even weirder. It essentially looks like a little baritone. It's called a trombonium, according to the bell. Um, <laughs> I will put up, you, go to the World Trumpet Federation uh, website, then you will see uh, both pictures and video of me playing these things. But I want to talk about this for just a second. I think we're living in an era where I think we all agree there are tons and tons of great instruments out there. There are lots of great choices. There are instruments we choose to play that we've talked mm -hmm. about. But there are lots of other things out there that are terrific. But uh, most of them now look pretty much the same. I mean, mm -hmm. we talked about this when we were talking right. about pickle piccolos recently, you know, mm -hmm. uh, how a lot of them, you know, the, the Selmer, the Getzen looked like the Selmer, and then the, the Shoki came along, and, and then everybody sort of copied the Shoki, and they look very similar here and there. This looks vastly different than any horn I've ever seen, and it sounds very, very good. What do you, uh, Have we lost something in the homogenization of design and style of instruments? Wow. What do you think? Lost some of the character playability maybe across the broad spectrum of instruments. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think this thing plays really well. I think that maybe that, that in trying to get to an audience, we're trying to get to the same audience, so we're, st we're building the same thing now. Yeah, I, I mean, you look at horns like that, and you see in that the evolution of, like, where, it, you know, that was at a particular stage on its way to something else, right? But, but, but it's good. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah so I don't, I don't know. That hey, what mouthpiece piece did you play on that? <laughs> oh, here Outing we go. me here. Here we <laughs> go. Right. Here, here was the one thing. Yeah, it, it's a cornet shank, okay. which, uh, which uh, uh, used to be um, there used to be more of a divide in flugelhorns of a trumpet shank, cornet shank, and flugelhorns. So I, I, I was th there was a mouthpiece in the case which did not suit me very well. So I did dig through and I have some Wick cornet mouthpieces and I just put a straight two wow. in there. Perfect. And it actually sounds, uh, I played it for you guys, you guys know. It sounds it, beautiful. It's really, yeah. It really sounds nice. So it's I great. know you're saying that maybe it was an evolutionary thing, but did it need to evolve past there? Or is it, was it good enough in its own, but for whatever reason just got sort of left behind? Like when you think of like those con rimless bell trumpets that were made yep. for a little while, those sound very, very good. Why does no one make a rimless bell anymore? Yeah. And maybe it was the sort of the arms race, right? Like, well, they're doing this, so we're doing that bigger, louder, better, whatever it happens to be, different metal, and everybody kind of wound up in the same place. It's an interesting perspective on it. Yeah, but this really kind of, having been thinking about that a lot, messing around with this horn, which, you know, I, I know we are, we, we like Chris Cromer an awful lot, and I wish I lived closer to Delaware to go to A minor tuna, because I may actually have to clean these on my own, which... <laughs> That sounds That's like a, a bad terrible idea. idea. Wow. I'm good I, at making horns dirty. I am not good at getting That'd be the clean. first time in how many years you've done that. <laughs> yeah, because these things have been, uh, according to my friend uh, 
sitting in his basement for over 20 years. So, because I kind of messed around with them on the breaks in this, the recording session. I said, so about these horns, he goes, oh, you can just take them. They're yours. They've been sitting in my basement for <laughs> 20 years. Wow, that that's that's case great. hasn't been opened in 20 years. And I'm like, all right, I'll take these with, home with me. Merry <laughs> so, Christmas yeah, so to you. So that's what I've been, I've been thinking about. So I, I want to think about that. And we have... You know, we have good friends that make horns. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're you know, we know the people at Shires. We know the, we know Peter Pickett very well. And, right. you know, Fred Powell's a good friend. Like, I want to ask these guys, like, uh, is there a reason that we've ended up in this place where things are so much the same? I, I'm not sure that it's better or worse. I just want to know. I can hardly wait for you to post a video of you doing something with this. Yeah, it'll, horn. yeah. Be Check it out. Check it out. It's yeah. up. So, very good. All right, Bill, what do you got for us today? Well, today uh, was studio class day uh, at Messiah, and uh, I, I love studio class here. We do a variety of things, and I have, you know, I've, I've bragged on my students before. They're, they're incredibly thoughtful. So in this, in, in this setting— As all Catholic kids are. It, it, there it is. <laughs> there it is. And it just—we proliferate the lie. But at any rate, um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, really, we really— We listen. <laughs> we'll carry this on. Yes, uh, oh, it's already happened. The people from outside of this conversation who are now referring to us as a Catholic school. Yeah. It's, it's Joey started this <laughs> how many years ago. Yeah. Totally stuck. He's an influencer. Yeah. So he is that. <laughs> I'm here to help. So, you know, my students are always, they're, they're very kind with one another. They're always being very uh, supportive and all that. And they really have great feedback for the students that played today. Um, but this one student in particular, uh, freshman uh, student, first year student, and uh, I, I don't want to mention, you know, names, so we'll just refer to him as James Beverly from Media, Pennsylvania. That's a good <laughs> Just cover. as, as and, an example. As purely hypothetical. Okay. And uh, so James was coming up with some really amazing comments. I mean, like, he's a thoughtful guy, but, it, and, and I wrote a couple of these down. We don't make mistakes, just happy little accidents, he said to one player. <laughs> and then another player, he said, just let your imagination go. You can create all kinds of beautiful effects. It's just that easy. And then another player does said... He, does he work for a greeting card company? Well, he says, use absolutely no pressure, just like an angel's wings. And I finally <laughs> looked over, and then he winked at me and showed me. He's reading off of the back of a deck of cards that are <laughs> Bob Ross playing cards. Oh, Bob <laughs> Ross! <laughs> yes! Fantastic. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, this... You don't even know need to know anything to do a master class. <laughs> you show up with this deck of cards. And you just read. <laughs> and you just literally deal them out. You can and play solitaire plays, and give a clinic. <laughs> give a clinic at the same time. I didn't even know these existed. We were on the floor. Bob time Ross the money. playing cards. Bob Ross playing cards with the little sayings on the back. That is... Hysterical and that uh, so James or whatever his real name may be, James Beverly from Media Pennsylvania, right, uh, deserves (laughs) extra extra credit there and for studio class. I made the class today, absolutely great. But I thought I we got a lot of people out there who've got master classes to do, especially online. No one would ever know. Get yourself a deck of these cards. You'll never run out of stuff to say. (laughs) That's a great idea. There you have it. Well, listen, I know you guys are excited about this. Uh, Time for the Open Bell Mailbag. And uh, Karen and her team worked overtime to curate this particular collection of emails. And by the way, she's asking for a space heater for her office. So I... Well, the the high the other day was 16. So we may want to think about that. So I was going to tell her we couldn't afford it, but you know what? that's not going to sit well with her and how angry she gets. So I sold off some of the Burt Bio Oil and Chop Saver. I hope that's okay. And I went to Walmart and I got her one. So so you guys, if you look at approved. the budget, you're going to see. Okay, approved. So email number one. Hello, gents. Congrats on the podcast. No one is more surprised than me that this actually took off. It sure is nice of Dan Gosling to sponsor warming up each week. And this brings me to my question, which is actually in two parts. One, what is Arnica? And two, in harsh winter conditions, can Chop Saver also be used to protect my iPhone screen? Scott in <laughs> Cincinnati. <laughs> uh, well, Scott, thanks for your message. Uh, Arnica is actually a... F- uh, I'll, I'll answer the first part of that. I was okay, going to answer then, that, but you can go ahead. Well, 
Uh, arnica is a flowering plant uh, in the sunflower family, also sometimes referred to as mountain arnica, wolf's bane or leopard's bane, or sometimes even mountain tobacco. Uh, but it's a natural ingredient that's used as an inf- anti-inflammatory in chop saver. It grows mainly in, in Siberia and Central Europe. Well, there you go. So. But I was, as for the iPhone question, I'm going to defer to our resident tech guru, Joey. Yeah. Listen, uh, this is where it's very handy and very protective for iPhone screens. Now, the best thing to do is wait until the iPhone owner is not within sight and then Um. liberally apply up to at least one tube to make sure the entire screen is covered. Yes. Yes. And and then we'll we'll be well taken care of. That's the key. The full coverage. The full coverage. (laughs) You want to make sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Safety first. Remember, always safety first. Always. Just pour on the Arnica. That'll do it. All right. Email number two. Dear Bill, Brian, and Joey, first of all, loving the podcast. Certainly the highlight of my week. I wanted to give you guys an update on something as well as ask a question. So it's been two years since you recorded your last album here in Nashville at Lipscomb University. I'm happy to report that in that time and with the help of the pandemic, the sounds, stains, and smells you left at the university have all but disappeared. (laughs) And now my question. That was mostly JC. (laughs) With the pending release of your new album, The Non-Articulation Agreement, I wonder if you guys have had any luck finding Joey's low G. I've looked everywhere down here, and I've got nothing. Thanks for any info. Ben from Nashville and the Great One Four. Ah, uh, Doctor Blasco. Well, this is this is uh, this is nothing you need to be worried about. Uh, I think of I, I think we all know that Milo G is much like the Loch Ness monster. It's like it's like Bigfoot. It's an urban legend. People have searched. People have claimed to have seen it. They've claimed to have heard it. There's no real evidence it even exists. No. So, no. yeah. I've People been have tried to write him into his parts. They just magically disappear. <laughs> they magically end up yeah. in Brian's parts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the one time it did show up, I managed to scare it off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Blasco. I uh, hope things are, are well in Nashville. Email three. Hey, guys, I absolutely love the show. I ended up listening to 23 episodes in one week during a 23-credit-hour schedule. Maybe that's why Greek suffered. Uh, When I listened to episode 20, the rules, you mentioned on Rule 25 that uh, the trumpet is biblical. And I agree with that rule so much that I think it should have been number one. But the trumpet isn't the only biblical instrument. The cornet is as well. Yes! As much as I hate to admit it, the King James Bible, the cornet is mentioned nine times. This is why so, I never liked King James. So, <laughs> so, Brian, you are justified in playing the cornet just a little bit, but remember that there are 104 mentions of the trumpet. No offense, but the trumpet is still better. Thanks for the great show, Joseph Miller, Tennessee. Well, let's... Before we even get to the numbers, I, I think he's making a very clear point here, and I'm certainly no biblical scholar, nor do I play one on TV. But the King James edition mentions the cornet. Oh, there you go. Now, the trumpet, there's no, every edition mentions the trumpet. There are no archangels that are playing cornet. That's not happening. That's <laughs> not, not a thing. A thing. Not That's a how thing. they started. <laughs> they did not start them on cornet. <laughs> You're saying the archangels started Start on, cornet. on cornet. That's right. your yeah. contention. Okay. Yes. All right, wise guy. What mouthpiece? <laughs> Straight numbers. Right. <laughs> You're saying Gabriel, no the archangel Gabriel, started on cornet with a wick four. I think what he's really <laughs> saying is, wrong. is that the. <laughs> I think what he's really saying is that the archangels were British. I think that's really what he's saying. Well, Bill, you teach at a Catholic school. What do you think about this? I think no. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's never going to be known as anything but a Catholic school now is what I think. I'm so happy with that. This is my legacy. (laughs) Well, Joseph, listen, thanks for your email. Uh, To be clear, I'll tell you what's not in there, the clarinet. Okay, just keep that in mind. That's nowhere to be found. And for good reason. In any version, and for good reason. Okay, email number four. Being a general music teacher, I feel very disconnected from the trumpet world since my college days. The most playing I do is building up my chops for a week in December to play carols to my classes. Besides uh, listening to your podcast, what recommendations do you have for me? This is Caitlin from Northern Virginia. 
well, this is the hard part. I, 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 you know, too, not to be too serious because yeah. the simple answer is you'll find some time and do some playing. Uh, um, but once people don't realize that when you're in college, that's when you actually have time to practice, even when you're a music ed major, even when you're busy. Because once you get out, and I talk to my students as they go to student teach and say, listen, you're about to have no time of your own. You're on other people's schedule and you're responsible to and for other people. So it's going to be very hard to find time to practice. So especially when you get out and you're working, when you're in that job, the idea is this. I think a lot of students have that, well, I've always had lessons, which means I've always had teachers that say, you have to play this and you have to play this. I have to play my scales and I have to play my Clark book and I have to. No, you don't. Once you're out of school and you want to find something to play, think, what do I want to play? And do that. Just carve a half an hour out here and there. Something is better than nothing. But start with something fun. Get yourself back in. That's what I'm thinking. I love it. I think it's great. Uh, yeah, and it doesn't need to be the uh, you know the stuff that you know you should do. But as Joey's saying, the things you want to play. There's great play-along stuff that you can use to get back into it. I think, Caitlin, I think the key for you is to prioritize the trumpet. You know, when you're feeling like you just want to sit down and do a puzzle or take a trip to the Dominican, I think instead you should just practice the trumpet. <laughs> just, you know, those are just purely examples. As, no as idea an example. Really who this Caitlin might be. As an but, example. Uh, it, just as an example. You know, just the ways to prioritize it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Brian, do you have anything to add to that? Okay, thanks. Um, email number five. <laughs> continue <laughs> email number five i just wanted you to know that you made my wife fall off her chair from laughter i was listening to episode 31 without my headphones on and she loved the humor so much so basically i'm writing to thank you for making my life easier by putting my wife carolyn in a good mood this morning nyram from jonesboro arkansas <laughs> beautiful all right all right nyram <laughs> before we i want to go a couple things listen <laughs> one <laughs> Listening without your headphones is how you should listen. More people hearing us is always a good idea. Yes. <laughs> so let's just get us out into the world here, trumpet mm -hmm. players or not. Uh, but two, if your wife thinks that uh, we're enjoyable and funny, that we like her and we haven't met her. We yes. like you. We haven't met her, but she's obviously uh, now mm -hmm. open bell approved, which I imagine comes as a great relief to you. Absolutely. Good, good people with good judgment. There it is. Thanks, Nyram, for sending that in. But mostly, thank you, Carolyn, for adopting a trumpet player and looking after him <laughs> while he chases his tail. I mean, his dream to become a professional trumpet professor. And as soon as we get our new World Trumpet Federation t-shirts made, we will be sending you one to Jonesboro. That's right. The all-new You're Doing It Wrong t-shirts are in the works. And there's one with your name on it. I mean, it's actually, our name is on it. But, you know, you'll get the idea. Watch your mail. <laughs> Email number six. Greetings, fellow trumpet geeks. Really loving the show and appreciate all the fine work you're doing. I really enjoy the fact that it's not always about the trumpet with you guys. To that end, I'd like to ask the following question. Uh -oh. In contrast to your most excellent trumpet skills, what is the most valuable skill you possess away from the trumpet? And what is the most useless skill you have in life? Thanks, Bear from the Northwoods. There it is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Brian, I've been chatting it up here. You want to start with this one? I have no usable skills outside of the trumpet. <laughs> I don't know. You build a chicken coop. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, we, we did build a chicken coop. Yes. Yeah, so, so my wife and I do some some work in the in the wood shop and the and uh, have built some stuff at the at the house. It's uh it's a lot of mistakes and a lot of correcting mistakes. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not sure that anybody would call us skilled. And what about a useless what about a useless skill, Brian? Something and don't useless say skill. me other than the cornet playing. Uh, is there <laughs> something that you just like it comes easy to you but it really doesn't have a whole lot of value? Choosing cars. Wow. That's <laughs> <not> <laughs> Choosing cars. That is not true. I'm sorry, uh, that's incorrect. <laughs> Oof. Tell him what he's won, Don. That is the beige Corolla of answers. <laughs> Just remember, you don't choose a beige Corolla. You end up with a beige Corolla. Right. A beige Corolla is something that happens to you. Yeah. I was so happy. I called Bill. Said I got a new car. I'm like, oh great. What did you get? Oh, it's a it's a beige Corolla stick shift. I'm like, wait, wait, oh, what? Was it the last one? What what happened? 
You get a free bowl of soup, you buy that car, and I'm out. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I Joey, what do you so, got? Uh, well, I th- I think I have a I think like a lot of people, a lot of useless skills, but maybe <laughs> the the most useless is my extensive knowledge of '70s sitcoms. Might might be top of that <laughs> list. Wow. Uh, uh, when my wife and I were were dating, and she, we brought up something, and somehow like Mash came up. And she said something about MASH. I said, oh, yeah, love MASH. I watch that all the time. It was on in syndication. It's one of those shows that I think I, I, I just know. She says, oh, yeah, I've seen every episode. And I said, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't think so. I said, all right, let me ask you some level one questions. And she goes, oh, mm. no. So I asked her what I thought were some of the basics. And she's like, no, 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 no. I don't know. I don't know. I said, you didn't watch MASH. <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> of course I watched. I watched, you know, they're in the hospital and they're in Korea. I'm like, right. But I was going with level one. I said, we haven't got to the level two questions yet. <laughs> right. You know, and, you know. So uh, I, I still carry all of that around, and I don't think it's doing me any good at all. Uh, so that's probably useless. Uh, useful? Um, that's a good question. Uh, Teaching I think math. I think, um, I think uh, wow. basic math uh, memory. I, I, I was surprised. Uh, I think I've told you guys, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast. There was a year after I got off the road and before I moved to Chicago where I taught kindergarten for a year. <laughs> I was a kindergarten teacher at a small private school in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I love this. Yeah, it's it was. So I fantastic. really enjoyed it. But uh, as I, in my first week there, there was a woman who uh, taught, uh, it was a pretty small school, she taught uh, the pre-algebra class and the algebra class and she had to leave. Like her, she and her husband got a job out of state and they were moving. So they asked, is there anybody here who feels comfortable teaching these classes? And In a faculty meeting. <laughs> yeah, and I raised my hand. There's one hand that goes up. <laughs> and there was no other hands. You know, so, of course. So the woman who's running the school <laughs> looks at me and says, come talk to me in my office. Because she was the one doing a favor by hiring me because her daughter was the one I was replacing who was taking a uh, maternity leave. She said, these students have to get through this book by the end of the year. This for the seventh graders. I said, no problem. Algebra. <laughs> I mean, you know your quadratic formula. Right? Everybody remembers that. And she looks at me and says, "No, nobody remembers that." <laughs> <laughs> and so I, 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 I taught the pre-algebra class, taught the algebra class. I had a great time doing it, and and uh, I just thought it was one of those things that I thought everybody really kept in their heads. Yeah. And it's it's not true. And it's just fundamental basic math skills. You guys remember it at NTC <laughs> a couple years ago when I yes. met with uh, Jason Bergman was hosting, and his son came in. And then I said, what do you like in school? He goes, oh, I like math. And I said, okay, great. You know your multiplication tables. Because he was young at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said, okay. I started quizzing him. And we got up to like, you know, he was doing great. He was knocking him down. And Jason's looking. I said, all right. You know your 11s, right? He goes, yeah, those are easy. I said, what about double digits? I said, I'm going to teach you a little secret. And I showed him a little shortcut mm-hmm. for how to multiply double digit 11s that he wrote down. And he was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> that the next I night when I met Jason's yeah. wife came to the concert. The next night I had met her. She walked up. I said, "Oh, hi, I'm Joey." She goes, "Oh, you're the guy with the 11s." So <laughs> for those of you listening, here's your shortcut. If you want to do a quick multiplication of uh, double digits by 11, all you do is you take the number. So 11 times 15. You take one, separate it, and five. So what's one plus five? Six. You put the six in the middle. 11 times 15, 165. Amazing. There you go. There's your math. So I think that's my Brilliant. useful and useless. Bill, what about you? We that, all wrapped up in one. Well, this pales in comparison. I think uh, my most useful thing is I think that I know exactly when to take chicken wings out of the deep fryer. Oh, that's I mean, useful. I, that's I good. Think that's, I, yeah, I guess it's useful. They that's are, a good skill. Because I want to order them from you know the place at the top of the hill. Yeah. Arugas. Love the place at the top of the hill. Love the place at the top of the hill. But my family is like, no, 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 no. Yours are better. So I don't know, maybe that is useful. Here's what I think is useless. My friend Dane thinks it's useful, but I, I think it's useless. I can meet a band of elementary kids in the morning, and I'm talking like 150 or 160, and I can triage that band to the place where we could do a concert that night and not fall apart. So this is musical triage. No, I and think that's that's unbelievably useful. You haven't gotten to useless <laughs> super yet. U- but yeah, super outside useful. Outside of that particular event, the and band fest... Honest. But I'm just saying, like, so Dane goes, he'll say to me, I, he goes, there's stuff going by, and I think I'd go in and fix that, and you let it go. You know to let it go, and then you fix something I didn't even hear, and then that night the thing I would have fixed is better, and your stuff held together. Like, how do you know? I'm like, you, after a while, you just know. You just know. It's you like just magic. know, like, and you, you know. But there is That's a, a thing. great skill. And, 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 you know, the three of us 
uh, primarily teach one-on-one. Uh, and I think there's a, a, a particular skill in doing that. And there is a, a, a particular skill in running a group. There are people that have one or the other, and you have both of those. Hmm. And I've watched group, hmm. like running a group. There's a thing to actually going in, and especially what you're talking about. These are kids you don't know. These are not kids who have no invested idea. in you. You have not yet invested in them. And to get everybody on the same page and be to create that sense of community and team that quickly and get them going in the same direction, that's really cool. And actually... Not universal, and it's quite unusual. <laughs> I'll tell you what it, I appreciate. It's the a kind really words. good skill, though. It's it's fear, uh, it really is what it is. <laughs> oh it's no, there, all, I, there are lots of people that are afraid that can't do that. <laughs> no, they're afraid of him. Dri- right there, it is. No, driven by fear. Hey kids, we've got a concert tonight. Let's go. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Hey, well, thanks everyone for sending in your questions. Those were great. And now it's time for a couple of things. <laughs> There may be no more important task as teachers than starting beginners. And we've talked a lot about trumpet on the podcast, but today's show devoted to starting beginning trumpet players. Let's dig in, boys. Labels up. (laughs) (laughs) Can Can we start with Joey's story? Yeah. Because this is one of my favorite stories. For beginners. For beginners. Mm -hmm. All right. It's one of my actual favorite stories I've ever heard. It's inspiring. Absolutely. But it's a a great story about starting. This is when I, so I, I, you know, I'd gotten off the road and I'd moved uh, down to Lafayette, Indiana. And so I'd been there about a year. And I, so I introduced myself to the band directors in the area and start teaching. And they said, here's what we do. What we do over the summer is we start everybody in June, right after school. That's how we have beginning band. And what you at one with two middle schools. So at one middle school, you're going to get an hour with all the trumpet students, and then they're going to go into band, <laughs> and then you can go to the other middle school because they're going to take the woodwinds first, and then you go over there and you have an hour with those trumpet students. You're going to be with them the first day they get their instruments. They're going to the music store is going to bring them all in, the mostly rentals. You're going to hand them out. You'll have about thirty, usually about thirty kids, maybe twenty kids in each one. I said, I'm in. It's six weeks long. You get Monday through Friday for six weeks, and then we're going to put on a concert, a big giant mass concert at the end, mm-hmm. and every section gets to play one thing. So and you get an hour each day with them. I get an hour every day for six weeks. Nice. So weeks. what do you want? What are they supposed to play? He says anything you want. You work with them, get them going. Boom! I said great, and I thought to myself, <laughs> this is my mad scientist moment because I have very <laughs> strong ideas, but I've never had this large a pool to uh, yeah, draw from. The laboratory. Yeah. So I go in, and we'll get to the pedagogy of this, but here's what I did. I went in, and we got started. Here's what we're going to do. And I said, trumpet playing is really pretty easy, so we're going to learn we're gonna learn how to play the trumpet. We're going to learn how to read some music, and then we're going to figure out something to play. What do you guys want to play? They said, oh, and one of them like yelled out. It was, a, it was a cartoon theme. I said, boom. So I went home, and I wrote down some of the notes, and I had the note names and the fingerings written on the page, and I had like a little scale and a little lip slur thing and eight bars of a melody. And so every day... We'd come in and we'd work through stuff. Hey, let's work with boom, boom. And we did that for the first week. And then the next week, a new little scale, a new little lip slur thing, and then eight bars of a different melody. So we're doing this, and all the kids are like, this is cool, this is fun. And I have an hour with just the trumpet players. So, you know, because you're thinking about how can you do this in a band. You can't do this in a band setting. You have to have it in a sectional setting. That's right. Yep. So... I don't really know anybody else, so I have no idea what anybody else is doing. So we get to the concert, and they say, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to go and score. We'll play something. We're going to introduce. This is the end of the six weeks, right? End of the six weeks. So they say, (laughs) we're going to introduce the flute teacher, and and she's going to come out. And Because then when the parents see you, if they want to take lessons, works great for you. I'm like, totally, I got it. So all right, we're going to introduce Miss So-and-So. She's with the flutes. She walks out. They're going to be doing number 11 out of our beginning band book. And my first thought was, really, number 11? Come on, we've been here six weeks. I mean, it's like eight bars and B flat major. Huh? And this is so-and-so with the clarinets. They'll be doing number seven out of the book. I'm like, huh, well, that's weird. And now uh, this is so-and-so with the, uh, with the saxophones. They're doing number 14 out of the book. And I thought, oh, no. Now I realize what's about to happen. <laughs> because <laughs> what I had was a 48-bar cartoon TV theme medley. 
<laughs> so the backing track and choreography. Yeah, no choreography. <laughs> but even some of the teachers were sitting in the sections playing with them to make sure they got through their little eight bars out of the book. So I walk out. Uh, this is Mr. Tartell. He's going to be doing a, uh, a cartoon theme medley. So I walk right. out and I have them all stand up. I count them on. I just sit there, you know, you know beaten four to a bar they play through and it went great you know all the kids could play it we did this all every day so we finished the concert and i'm thinking they're going the other teachers must hate me now because now i look like a giant show off but i didn't do it intentionally i just thought we've got all this time let's go yeah right right after the concert the band directors look at me wave me into the office (laughs) can we talk to you for a second i'm like oh hmm." here it comes they close the door and look at me and said how did how did you do that and I said, easy. It's like getting a it's like getting a group lesson every day for six weeks. How do you do anything else? Because this is the, the overarching pedagogy of this point. We vastly underrate what kids can do. Mm-hmm. Because in a group setting, when you have a beginning band, you've got to do a lot. You've got to worry about the clarinet players over the break. You've got to worry about uh, the drummers just hitting things and running out. You've got to worry about keeping everybody together and everybody's doing different stuff and trying to get music going. If I just have trumpet players, I have to do one thing. Let's all just play trumpet, right? So it, 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 it's a singular endeavor, not a multiple endeavor. So I found it to be really easy. And, the, and I said, yeah, these kids are already done with your beginning band book. They all know six major scales. They all know <laughs> accidentals. They all know all their fingerings, you know. And, they, and I said, they're essentially done with sixth grade at this point. And they <laughs> said, well, this is going to be the problem because we're going to start at the beginning of the school year. And, you know, we got to. We got nowhere else. They're going to be bored. So I did come in. I was doing sectionals, but then I did this very same thing next summer, (laughs) you know. And then after that, I got the job here at IU and I moved. Same result, right? Yeah, absolutely. So this idea that it was somehow uh, these were special kids or anything? No, it's just that I went. Let's see what we can get done because it's just us and we're going to play trumpet. And they're like, Yeah, let's go. All of them could do it. Well, I think now we know how you got the job at IU. I mean, those two summer trumpet sectionals that's what led my resume I mean. right there so so <laughs> let me, i just want to back up to the concert to the performance kids are there you're sitting in with them playing the medley and you play through the medley no i don't play i was just i was out front what were you doing out front i was just <laughs> I, I knew you were going back to this <laughs> I, I was gonna try i was not wearing a turtleneck is what i was doing <laughs> well it was the middle of summer. i had no i had sleeve. no baton I had you no were baton. conducting. You were totally <laughs> conducting. I was uh, I was leading them through without <laughs> playing. Brian saw that coming a mile I away. I saw it going a mile away. I was, as I was going through the story, I thought this is not going to end well for me. <laughs> no, no. But great story and a great place to start, like to to lead us into this discussion, right? Because yeah, here it is, like the expectations on students because these they're ready to go. Right. Yeah, and I talk to my music ed majors about this a lot when they're going in, and, and especially if they're going to go work at, at, in middle schools. The beginning band books, for the most part, are not very good because they under, they're under they aiming at a lowest common denominator. Without getting too much into educational uh, philosophy and educational psychology, just a little bit of it. We know now that if you teach to the front of a classroom, this everyone gets pulled along. The kids who get it first are going to help the kids who don't get it as fast. Right. So we know this, and we, we, that we're taught that you should teach science this way, you should teach math this way, you should teach English and literature this way. Band doesn't seem to want to teach this way. We're always like, we got to wait until everyone understands. Third clarinets, third clarinets, third clarinets, third clarinets. Meanwhile, you've lost the rest of the room. Mm. The idea is teach to the kids who are coming with you the fastest, and they're going to pull everybody with them. It works. Mm-hmm. It, it as a, just mm. an educational philosophy always teach this way yeah so let's let's talk about day one let's talk about you know the label is up right <laughs> now, case now, is on the floor understand. case the on the case floor on you the mean floor. the label on the case the label yeah. on the case is up yep <laughs> yeah let's not do the case on the lap right open up <laughs> horn chair. in one hand yeah everything's going super tumbling. frightening but I want to talk about that uh, in particular because I've seen so many really bizarre approaches to this. Here's the moment. You hand the horn over, right? And you, you wanna, you, you're ready to hear that first sound and, and see where that is and, and hear what's going on with that student. I, I w- would love to know what you guys do in that moment. You can go ahead, Joey, but I, I do have a, 
I, no, I please. Think, I've been talking a lot. Go, Brian. I think everybody, I think students should hear something and see something because I think a sound and an image is worth a thousand words. So I, I think they need to know what they're shooting for. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think, I think I totally agree with Joey that really you don't want a whole lot of nuance here and a whole lot of garbage interfering with put it on your face and blow real hard. <laughs> right? I mean, right. this is a fifth grader who wants to make a sound. And the faster you can get them going after it and making a real sound. Now, it's helpful to put it in the middle and helpful maybe to say um, dim or M, right, to mm -hmm. have them get the mm -hmm. chops together in, in a, some semblance of an embouchure. But if you're talking about embouchure and talking about flat chin and corners no. and, like, you're really going to make things difficult. Uh, yeah, yeah, for me, it, it's really simple, right? Yeah, case on the floor, you know, let's open that. So I, I'll say, like, here's how to hold it. Pull that, put it in mm -hmm. your left hand, hold it like this, take the mouthpiece, put it in, give it a little turn, but not too tight because it'll get stuck. Say, say M, then put the mouthpiece up kind of in the middle of your face and then blow. And then exact what Brian said is I think is really important. Then I do that. I said, so I'm going to do it first and then you guys do it. And I'll put the horn up and I'll just play like a G, a, a nice clear G in the middle of the staff. Now, the first note they get out might be a low C. Might be a C in the staff, might be a G, might be a G on top of the staff. It might be nothing at all. Yeah, that's right. Doesn't matter. Get a sound out then. And then it's like, all right, now we go from there. Yeah, and we're on the same page with this. The the in the crucial information up front is a visual reference for them, a sound reference for them, and go. Do not overload them with a bunch bunch of information. Because here's the thing. You have to assume, you probably assume that it's probably not going to be great or might not work. But you also need to leave room for the fact that it might. And yeah. it might be money. And that you don't need <laughs> to say anything. Because there's a chance if you right. did say, roll this, pinch that, compress this, no offense, that it <laughs> might, uh, that you might have just hosed that and had them do something so unnatural that it doesn't work. You have to leave room that it could be just okay the way it is. Right, yeah, let them start and then work from there. But yeah, keep it simple, get a mm -hmm. sound out, and then say, all right, now let's do that again. Yeah, so on these evenings when you know, you've know you got the mass, the, you know, the instrument petting zoo or whatever it is, and you got kids there to try, that most important thing is whether it's to have another student in your program, like a great senior All-Stater or a, you know whatever, be there to, to demonstrate a sound and the visual, keep the vocabulary to a minimum, and off we go. Right. Yeah. So then we've got right. So then we've got a sound, and right. nearly everybody can make a sound on the trumpet right away. So mm -hmm. then I kind of I'll just go around. If the room's small enough, I'll go around and say, "All right, what did you get?" And with no judgment at all, show me the sound you can make, kind of one at a time, just to get like a a little bit of that one on one in that mm -hmm. group setting of making sure I'm hearing a sound. You've made a sound. Cool. That's this. That's a low C. Hey, that's a G right there. Okay, what you got there? Just to kind of, yeah, yeah. just to give that little checkup and give everybody that little bit of positive affirmation that, yeah, you just made a sound. That's really cool. And isn't that moment, too, let's not lose sight of that because we've all been doing this for so long and teachers have been teaching for so long, but that's that kid's first moment to do that, which means they're going to go home and say, he said I played a C. Yeah. He said I played a G. She told me I had the best sound in the room. Whatever it was, right? Like that moment is crucial to affirm what's going on there and kind of assess what's happening. So yeah, yeah. that's a great a great thing to to right away get in there and make sure that that's happening. So what do you do then? Let's go next step. We've got we've got a failure, right? Mm -hmm. There's no no sound coming out. I think we'll probably be on the same page here too. Maybe not. I want to just give just enough information at one time, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just going to try one more thing and one more thing. I'm not going to then right. just kind of just throw the entire list out. So wh what do you guys do? There's a failure. We, we don't have any sound coming out. What do we do next? I mean, it depends on what it is. You know, like s you can watch and see some kids and, you know, just as examples, they'll like be completely pinched up, like just mm -hmm. and nothing's coming out. So then you just want to go, oh, no, no, here, just do this. And then say, mm -hmm. that's pretty much all you're doing. Make right. get, whatever it is, find a simple thing that they can do. Relate that to how to play the trumpet and say, just do it like that. But with the trumpet on your face, mm -hmm. I think it's I think it's super important. Uh, it's a great example that Joey just gave. It's important to say, do this. 
rather than don't do that. Don't do that. Yes. Because right. not important. doing something is very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> but doing something is can be pretty easy. So right. do this. Aim for this. Yeah, it's a chance to reinforce those fundamentals from the beginning and make it about, you know, taking a breath in and moving the air out. Yeah, making it two things. Making it easy and making it successful, right? Making it accessible so that it's easy. And then because if, if you make trumpet playing hard on their first day, whew, yeah, no. They're not going to go home and practice because it's like, no. well, I just, that was hard. I don't want to do really that. Yeah. Right. I want to, I want them going home going, okay, that was fun. Mom, dad, whoever's in the house, like, let me show you what this is what we did. This is so cool. Right. Check it out. Yeah. And there are only um, a few things that would make a sound not come out, right? I mean, they could be too tight. They could be not blowing or they could be pressing really hard. Right. Yeah. There's not that many other right. reasons to not get a sound at all. A, right. Yeah. Right. A sound wouldn't come out. Now, uh, so I, I want to dive into two things related to this because I think um, uh, there's – I'll go here first. One of the Texas legends, you know, from my time in Texas, I remember hearing this. Students don't get the horn for the first couple weeks. All they get is the mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. And you, you get the mouthpiece and you take that home and you learn to play that mouthpiece and buzz that mouthpiece and then you do that for two weeks and then we're going to give you the horn. Or valve block. Yeah, go. <laughs> mouthpiece. Uh, uh, I don't love it. Yeah. Nobody signs up to play a mouthpiece. Right. I think I think that runs the risk of losing kids before they've ever started. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to play a mouthpiece. I want to play trumpet. Our percussion professor, um, he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, I saw him do do a class for beginning percussion beginning percussion class, and he talked about. Um, the first day that everybody gets their instruments and the trumpet players get this shiny new trumpet and the saxophone players get this uh, shiny new saxophone trombone and the horn players and the flutes and the clarinets and the drummers get a practice pad. <laughs> right. He said right. that's child. He said that's child abuse. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. You're not good enough to make a real sound. You're not even worthy to make to get a real instrument the first day. He called that criminal. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's amazing. And the same, same thing, right? We're talking, yeah. you yeah, you, you only qualify for a mouthpiece now. Yeah. Um, and while we're on that subject, and, and, and I, my, uh, this has changed for me a little bit over the years because I thought, well, you know, when I was really thinking about it differently, uh, about having to be able to buzz the mouthpiece to make it work, but, of course, thought has shifted on that, right? Right. Uh, and so now we're really playing the horn and we're meeting the resistance. And that's a much more efficient and beautiful way to play, easier way to play for kids. But let's talk about the mouthpiece choice for a minute because I'm going to go back to Texas. Uh, and I do like this and I agree with it. No seven C's in the cases in Texas. Yes. Five B's. Five yeah, B for beginners. Uh, sure. I don't necessarily have a problem with the. Uh, I think five is a good place generally to start in the mm -hmm. five generally speaking um if something were more like a 7b like mm. maybe like smaller kids that might be a good place that they right. may have an easier time with but uh, i'm not sure that there's a great one size fits all so that's why the 7c which is not a great one size fits all has <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it, it became the standard years and years ago but i don't think that there is a great answer to the question of what should anyone start on, which is why there's never been a great replacement for the 7C. But a 5B, I think, might be better for most kids. Sure. Yeah. I, well, I if you have really thin thin lips, you can you can easily operate a 5B. If mm -hmm. you have really thick lips, you can probably make a 5B work. Right. Easier exactly. on a 3C, yeah. but you can probably, in a way that you wouldn't be able to make a 7C work. Yeah, I mean, the depth of the, you're getting a couple things there, of course, just so just the, the reminder, the primer on the mouthpiece thing, the, the five compared to the seven is use a little more diameter, right? A little bit wider. And then mm -hmm. the B cup and that box sizing is just a little bit deeper. So you're right away, I think you're encouraging better movement of air and, you know, more full tone quality uh, right off the bat, you know, which is really yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's something that did kind of stick with me. Um, there's another legendary story that I've heard from South Texas down around Brownsville where in band, they only play Concert F for like the first six weeks. Oh, my. What? Mm. Who would yeah, stay so in they, band that long? Well, so they do. They find ways to make it creative, like with different rhythms. And oh, they're teaching on. all this stuff and they're <laughs> unifying the sound. And, you know, I, I mean, but 
Now, they say, now the kids go home and we know that they're messing around on their horns and they're I playing a bunch so. of other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but when they're in here, this is what we do to refine the sound and balance it and make it what we want. Now, apparently the product is phenomenal. As but long I as they're doing something else on the outside, sure. Yeah, Otherwise, they're just going to quit out of boredom. Right. How would you keep their interest? Yeah. Because I'll tell you, the next thing I do, if we go back to day one, if we're still right. on day one, but we all get back. a sound. I go around the room, and we've all got a sound. I'm like, great. Let's talk about the horn. Let's see how it operates. So you notice we got three valves. What do they do? Mm-hmm. Now, look at the pipes, right? So you can see the air goes through here, and it comes around. I want you to know how it works. And it's this simple. The air goes in the small end, it comes around, it goes through the valves. Now, if we push these down, then it goes through these little pipes. Which one's the shortest? They all look, and they go, oh, the second valve. Right, so if you play that, all you have to do is push down the second valve, and it changes by a half step. Which one's next? Oh, the first valve. Yeah, and it's exactly twice as long. First valve is exactly twice as long, so it changes it exactly twice as much. And instead of a half step, it's a whole step. Now, this is the easiest thing in the world. What's one plus two? And they're like, three. Right. So the third valve slide is exactly the length, or it's supposed to be exactly the length of the first and second. So one and two and three are exactly the same. And then you, is that when you tell them that third valve's great for the double A? It exactly. actually just locks yeah. in better? It's <laughs> <Locks> right, <laughs> yeah, right in. So, so then I'm like, so let's mess around with that. Let's see if we could do that. Let's play whatever note we're playing, and then just press down the second valve, see what happens. Now press down mm-hmm. the first valve, see what happens. Because I think a lot of times it's like, well, we've got to learn the scale notes in order and all that kind of No, it's crap. No, Let's get I them playing this. around. Get them messing around with the horn. This is how the yeah. horn works. Might mm-hmm. as well get them to know that. Because I've actually had college students come in. And I said, have you thought much about how the trumpet works? And they look at me and they go, mm, what do you mean? <laughs> well, how does it operate? Like, wh- what do you? What right. makes this thing work? Like, what, is, what, are the, what, are the, what do the valves do? I mean, they change the notes. Yeah, but how? Uh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I, I, when I was teaching b- uh, awesome. brass methods here, you know, that, that's one of the things I used to say to them was, of course, to show them that this, you know, this sequence then also equated to the trombone slide positions. And yep. this is this is how it worked. But it, yeah, it's amazing to me that, you know, they never really gave it that much thought. But no, you know, but I love this idea of this sort of just piquing their interest about how does this machine actually work? Yeah. Like, what did these things do? Because then you I, can go home and start messing around with that. I, I think I, I may have told you I was doing a, we, a university school, you know, on campus, and they brought the little kids down, and they were we were doing an instrument demonstration, and it's a little kids sitting around on the floor, and and uh, I was talking to them about the trumpet, and I said, well, and this and this and this and this, and then this is what the buttons do, and the teacher stopped me, put her hand up, and she said, Doctor Stoneman, that's uh, we we learned that in our class that those were called valves. <laughs> Here I am calling calling them buttons, right? And I said, oh, that's really good. So these buttons. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I love that idea. So so we go from making the great sound. We get we start to just explore the horn a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when we get into start to associate, what do you guys feel about association, associating then the visual? Like what? Where the sounds are we making on the printed page? When do yeah, you get? I, that's where that's where I go next. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually, uh, most kids I've dealt with at that age don't have a lot of musical experience. Some may have taken some piano, some may have been in some choirs, but most of them aren't really uh, very fluent at reading music. So what I'll do is, I usually I like having a board up in front of the room. So if they're starting on like a G, I will put a treble clef up and say that's this note, and I write the name of the note above it and the fingering below it. Yeah. And and so this, is, er- this is the to reinforce this is sound before sight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super, yes. super, super important. <laughs> yeah. So we've already made some sounds. And, and we're that is around. represented by this thing that and I'm, I'm like. So when you play that, room. that's what this is. Yeah. Right. And then so when we're when I'm talking about like when I was writing Critical. out those things for the kids, I'd write out a little scale and say, All right, let's see if we can play all these notes. And I'd have the name of the names of the notes above and the fingerings below for everything on the page. Right. So um, you're not just learning how to play the trumpet. You're then also learning how to read music. You can learn both of those. You can integrate that process so that they're both happening at the same time. Yeah, and that's crucial. I mean, so many of us, you know, around the time I grew up, it was all sight. You know, here's here's the visual, and this is what this is. So that, you know, I, I remember my, my mom saying to me, why don't you get your trumpet out and play for Aunt Shirley, you know? And I was like, and you're like, play what? Oh, what do you want me to play? <laughs> like the third trumpet part to the Liberty Bell March? Cause, cause that's what I have. 
<laughs> you know, like the thought of me just being able to play the horn or just to play for fun or play notes, it just really didn't dawn on me that I could do that. So th- this was something I would ho- I really hope that we were going to get to in this discussion is that it's so important to encourage that, just the freedom to explore the horn and play notes and then make the visual representation. Right. Oh, yeah. I remember one of the, well, this is probably the first thing I learned by ear. And I tell kids this when I started. I said, yeah, you want to just go figure stuff out. Mess around, see what happens. Because what I knew uh, by the time I figured this out was I knew one major scale when I was in, I knew the concert B flat major scale, RC major scale. Mm. And this is when the Muppet Show was really big. (laughs) (laughs) So I was in my, I was in there practicing and I was trying to figure out how the heck could I play the Muppet Show. But the only thing I really had to work from. Now, luckily for me, you can play the Muppet Show theme in concert B flat with no accidentals. So I figured that out and I thought, this is the coolest thing that has ever happened. I can play. I'm like, you know, I'm in my my, you know, sixth grade bedroom sitting there playing the Muppet show, thinking, I've made it. This is right. it. <laughs> so sixth grade, you capped a double C on the end of that then. Obviously. I mean, yeah, it needs clearly to, by yeah. then. I mean, Gonzo, so the, uh, <laughs> the great Gonzo, Gonzo was uh, uh, always yeah. at the end of the show, and there was always a little right. gag there. Mm-hmm. What they really wanted there would just paste which, the double Which C. they didn't know was just to, yeah, cap That's the what double. Gonzo should have been doing. <laughs> yeah, so you started in what grade? In sixth grade. Sixth grade It was grade very in normal Texas. in Texas at the time, yeah. Yeah, Pennsylvania was fourth. We started in fourth grade. Wow, and, and considering how much fifth. older you are, I think you've been playing think, trumpet like 30 years longer than I have. You'd think I'd be better. <laughs> like... <laughs> You would have learned your longer. fingers above high C. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's the thing. I don't know my fingerings above high C. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Still. <laughs> Still. I don't know. So let's talk a little bit about uh, well about that for just a minute. I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, do you think there's a real huge advantage to starting kids that much sooner, like in fourth or fifth grade? Because I've had some students come through the program here who were those sixth and seventh grade starters no discernible difference I depends think on the kid it, uh, yeah obviously uh, this is a hard i don't think there's a universal here i do think that there's a a, a danger that some kids at uh, in fourth grade just aren't physically big enough to handle instruments like if you want to start on trombone or even if you're really small on trumpet and you just have a hard time holding it up for a long time right. that that could be a, a something where you immediately just get turned off of it where by sixth grade most kids are then just of a size where it's not really an issue Right. Yep. So here's fourth grade is the argument to start kids on cornet. Of course. Oh, oh my right. gosh. I you can't believe I got suckered into that. Heed that up. I should have him. seen that coming. Heed it up. So, so easily. Wow. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think with school, I, one of the things I think that drives it is schools are afraid that if they don't start them in fourth, they'll get involved in some other activity and then be gone. Uh, there's a local school district here where they were starting the strings in third or fourth grade. And then the band kids weren't starting till fifth or sixth. Well, they already picked, they wanted to be in music, so they picked a string instrument, and then they wouldn't switch and add to band. So there was this <laughs> unlist, right? Well, so this uh, internal struggle for the same students. And strings have an advantage as uh, they have sized instruments. Right. You, you can start playing violin yeah. when you're very, very, very small in a way that you cannot yeah. start playing trumpet or you know any other real brass instrument at that age. French yeah. horn. <laughs> imagine, trying to, yeah, tr- imagine trying <laughs> to play tuba when you're, you know, five years old i just don't think it's really a thing right um so let's i want to get your opinion on this and i know this varies so much for students but let's talk about that you know in that first year what's a reasonable range to expect from a student in that first year i have strong feelings about this brian you have strong feelings about this i I don't have strong feelings but i think it it, you know just depends on the student Mm -hmm. Uh, but don't sell them short I don't think it depends on the student if if they're getting if they're practicing and getting good instruction. I don't think that there's any reason that uh, everybody can't play from low F sharp to at least a G on top of the staff by the end of one year of playing. Yeah, I don't think that there's any reason that that's not uh, something kids can do. But you realize how bizarre that is and sounds. Except what's going on in reality. Except for what I've taught a ton of beginners and they can all do it. Right, (laughs) all of them. I'm not right. talking about exception. Oh, these must have been super special kids. No, these were the, these are the kids who happen to show up and say, "Hey, I'd like to take lessons." Every single one of them. Yeah. 
because finding students, middle school students who can play to that G sometimes is a challenge. It is, but I think that that's again goes back to the, the music that they're being given. So if you're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, uh, most kids in beginning band are probably not getting a lot of private instruction. So the only thing they're getting are in their band, which means their band music and their band directors who have a lot to take care of and are not there to give individual right. attention. Sure. That's not the job, right? So then their beginning band books and their beginning band music is not going to go much past that C in the staff, right. a D in the staff. So what that does is keep them thinking, well, that's all I'm supposed to do. So they're right. not trying for it. They're not being pushed in that direction. But again, this is where I'm saying, this is why you want to make sure you're actually challenging your students. You're not setting the bar so low, both figuratively and literally here, mm -hmm. that you actually <laughs> hamper the long-term growth of your students within the first year. Right. And again, it's it's per student. So there's about, you know, we, we want to be clear about that. Um, and, and I believe you base it on sound. If they're making a nice full sound, then stretch it out and go. But until they do that, then there's no need to really push too far because it's not going to be productive in any way. No, but, I'm, I'm, but what I'm saying is I think it's normal. I think it mm -hmm. could be normal and it has been in my experience to have that expectation that we're just going to keep playing music and we're going to keep kind of stretching all the way out in both directions. So we're hitting to the bottom of the horn of Loa Sharp and we're right up on top of the staff at least at the end cool. of a year with some individualized work. Yeah, and what I love about this particular part of the conversation is this is going to be shocking to, a, to any music teachers who are hearing this. Maybe. I, but uh, for again, some, I think it's going to be. I, yeah, but again, yes, what I'm talking lot, about yeah. is not just kids who are only in beginning band. I'm saying to do this, they're going to need individualized attention and, and want right. to do some practicing. If, if right. they're not doing that, it's much harder to do because sure. I understand uh, the, the confines of beginning band and why things have to be that way. I get that, which is why individualized instruction on the outside. If, if you have the opportunity to even bring in somebody once a week to just take your trumpets, if that's something your school district can do, and if you can encourage people to take private lessons and you have that relationship right away for the kids who are interested, get them out and doing it because, one, it makes your program better. Two, it gives the kids a, a whole nother outlet and just it, it makes their growth just go grow exponentially. And, and if you're not sure, if you can't do that, you just give the kids the link to the uh, WTF website yeah, and they do the thing every way. day. Exactly. Let's get them double C. Six instruments. Yeah, two hours of fundamentals for those kids, 10-year-olds. I think that's a reasonable way to start. Talk to your local music store. We're going to need a kit that's got a pick and an E-flat, a C-trumpet, and a flugelhorn. Give them the WTF special. Well, definitely lots to consider with beginners, but I think we hit on some pretty important things here today. We covered the mouthpiece issue. We talked about starting and encouraging and exploring and all those kinds of things and not getting locked into the same old thing. So I think it's a, it's a good start for us. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll maybe garner some questions, be able to continue this. Um, let's, uh, let's shift gears and get to no offense. It's an important one today. Today's topic for no offense, and this is an important one, letting beginners pick the saxophone. Oh, okay. No. No. This is not, it's no. not okay. Now, Bill? Yeah. Bill? <laughs> yes. Um, uh, I just want to bring up a friend of mine. Now, he's a trumpet player. He's an educator. He uh, even wears turtlenecks at times. Uh, now, he has, he's got four kids, and, and, and three of them, although, you know, have some music here and there uh, and have done some things, but his fourth, the fourth one really seems like music may be something that he want to wants to pursue That's, as a career. That is, that is true. Now, this particular uh, friend of mine, he is a trumpet player, mm -hmm. and this particular fourth kid, let's just say, I don't know his name, rhymes with Belliot, um, <laughs> plays, plays the saxophone. Now, how do you think, what would you say to that kid's father, who is a trumpet player and an educator, who let his son pick the saxophone? Well, there's some advantages here. I'd look right in the mirror and I'd say, you know, you're out of the will, kid. That's the way it goes here. <laughs> I, you, this is a conscious choice. You know, my oldest son, the double bass player, also dabbled with some saxophone. Ooh. But he band. grew out of it. He that grew was out just of it. like a phase. But the day he came home and said, hey, we got to try string instruments today, Dad. And I was like, well, that's really great. What do you think? And he goes, 
I really like the viola. And I said, I'm going to explain something to you. (laughs) (laughs) You and I never had this conversation. Okay, If you want to play a string instrument, it's the double bass. Because you know that's used in jazz, right? And he goes, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, double bass. Love jazz. Yeah. Dodge that bullet. Right, but can we talk about son number two in this friend of mine? We can. What what, what did he play? Uh, The Airplane. Is what he no, plays. that's what he plays now. But when he was in, yes, in college and high school in the jazz Saxophone. bands, so you're you're batting, or my friend uh, is batting <laughs> five hundred at having children pick the saxophone. It's awful, and I don't know how it happened. But it's you're the one who came up brutal. with the no offense. So, but no offense, Bill. No, you're doing it wrong. Listen, this is <laughs> I am the. <laughs> Yeah, I'm totally doing it wrong. Yes. I am the voice. I'm trying to be the voice of reason here. Don't let this happen to you. Look at me. <laughs> learn if, from your mistakes. Learn from my mistakes. If you can't be mistakes. a good example, at least you can be a horrible warning. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. And that's the thing that will get quoted after this week. Right. <laughs> I'm oh walking. That is Horrible genius. warning. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, listen, that should about do it for today. We've come to the end of yet another episode. Thanks for joining us on The Open Bell. Stay tuned. Tell your friends and students. And so long for now. Remember to keep an open mind, but more importantly, an open bell.